Welcome to Defending Digital. I'm Chad Warner. Today's topic, how to avoid online card skimming, an interview with Jonathan Kleinsma at Risk IQ. I had the privilege of interviewing Jonathan Kleinsma, head threat researcher at Risk IQ and the world's foremost expert on MageCard. Kleinsma has spent over 10 years in threat intelligence. He has a lot of experience analyzing digital crimes and tracking hackers, particularly those who do online credit card skimming. And here's the audio recording of the interview where Klingsma answers my questions about online credit card skimming and how we can shop safely online. Welcome to Defending Digital. I'm Chad Warner. Today I'm pleased to have with me Jonathan Kleinsma, head threat researcher at Risk IQ and the world's foremost expert on MageCart. Jonathan has spent over 10 years in threat intelligence. He has a lot of experience analyzing digital crimes and tracking hackers, particularly those who do online card skimming. I'm eager to get Jonathan's advice on how we can shop safely online. Jonathan, today I'd like to learn more about online card skimming and about e-commerce safety in general. But first, let's go back in time. What piqued your interest in cybersecurity in the first place? So for me, it's, it's not always been cybersecurity in itself. I've always had an interest of understanding how something works and when you start to learn how something works, you figure out how you can kind of go around something or in terms of what people would call hacking, you try to get to the bounds of what's possible with what you're looking at. So I've always just been trying to solve puzzles and it's puzzling how something works and in terms of cybersecurity and threat intelligence, it's solving that puzzle of what happened, how did it happen, um, how did we get there and basically get a lot of context around what's happening, which I think is a very important part of threat intelligence. Yeah, for sure. And, and that seems to be common in the security space is people who have kind of that engineering mindset and, and are interested in reverse engineering things and kind of figuring out how things work. Uh, so that, that's a, a common theme. Now, your expertise is in tracking MageCart. And as I understand it, uh, that's when bad guys insert code into uh, an e-commerce checkout page to steal payment card details. Um, am, am I pretty close on that or anything you want to expand on uh, kind of describing MageCart? Yeah, no, no, you're pretty close. So MageCart for us was just a term uh, we came up with because we, we needed something to refer to because um, it's easier to, to have a term for something if you're working uh, in a team. Uh, so the name comes from a um, long time ago, one of the first compromises we were looking at was a compromise of a, a content management system called Magento. Um, so Mage Magento, mm -hmm. um, because one of the core files inside Magento is a, is a file called mage.php. It's just a PHP script. Um, and at the time they were doing skimming while you we were in your card. And at some point somebody said Mage card um, and it kind of stuck. And that's what we kept calling it and kept referring to it. Uh, and it kind of it kind of grew from there. Um, we've been tracking it since 2015. Um, we know it started in 2014, uh, and it's just the the concept of of you know, skimming, uh, but doing it on the side of the person who's doing the checkout. So when you think about data breaches and like credit card theft, uh, it's always a breach. So they they get into a system, they copy stored payment information, or while somebody's doing a transaction, the card that comes in, they try to skim it. So web skimming or, or MageCard is moving this to the browser side of somebody who's doing a checkout. So as you said, they, they add a small piece of script into the web page, and while you're doing your checkout and you hit that payment or like submit order button, 
right before it sends it off, it quickly runs some script to pull down the payment information you entered, and it sends it off to a server owned by the bad guy. So they're basically like collecting um, payment data, which they can later sell or use in fraud. Um, now we, we kept with the name MageCard because it also helps in kind of exposing it in media. So the first time we published was 2016, and well, we came up with the name so nobody heard of it, uh, but the whole concept was, like I said, we saw a group of criminals starting this in 2014, kind of like figuring out how to do this properly, and it evolved over the years to it currently being like a really big thing, uh, and it's only growing. Um, and you know, we use this term MageCard just, just to get people's attention to it, just to get people to read about it, to understand it, and refer to the same thing. Uh, and we can we can slowly let the term MageCard in itself go, maybe. Um, we have some tracking where we call certain criminal groups MageCard Group 1 to Group 13 uh, that we have published on. Um, for us, it's it's we don't want to give them any kind of fancy name that would, I don't know, make make them seem bigger than they are. We just put a number on it. Um, that's more than enough. But yeah, it, it comes down to sort of an evolution in how you steal payment data and you kind of move it to the person that's actually doing the checkout. Um, and there's there's just so many ways you can get that small script running on a website. Um, it, it's not even about breaching um, an e-commerce website itself anymore. Uh, if you think about, all, like if somebody runs a website and they have a big website, they'll have ads on there. They'll have all kinds of external processes running, um, external suppliers, basically a supply chain, but then for websites, all kind of content is being pulled in. Um, it's all happening on the person that's viewing the website. It's all happening in their browser. Now, you don't have to compromise the e-commerce side anymore. You can go after one of one of these companies that runs external stuff for somebody on their e-commerce website. So if you take an app provider, you're able to compromise an app provider. You can get on all the websites they will advertise on. And that's just one of the approaches. And that's why this web skimming is such a big thing. Um, like one of the one of the big breaches we published about Ticketmaster, they were never compromised themselves. They have it, they have it set up really good. They, you know, they have security teams, they're a big organization. However, they have external providers and two of their external providers were compromised. And it's something they had, well, not that much insight on because it doesn't run on their side. It runs in the browser of the person who's doing, you know, his checkout, who's buying tickets for a concert. So all in all, it's, you know, it's, it's a bigger problem that's uh, it's kind of growing. Yeah. So, so you talk about the, the growth of it over time. Um, at this point, do you have any idea how many websites uh, or how many consumers have been affected? No, that's, that's like, that's very hard to track. So if you think about an e-commerce site directly, you can kind of count and sure we we've seen tens of thousands of those. That's, you know, that happens. But if you think supply chain, we've had one incident where, the actual skimming code ended up on over a hundred thousand websites. Hmm. Now those websites weren't all e-commerce sites though. So a bunch of them kind of was like, it was a, a shotgun approach pretty much. So they, they went for everything and then see what comes back. Um, not everything being e-commerce, not every time they were on an e-commerce site, they were on a checkout. So it's really hard to filter down. Mm-hmm. If we spend a lot of time on it, sure. It's a very lengthy process to go through all those things. So in our eyes, you know, from one incident, 100,000 websites, it's, you know, it's from there on uh, for the amount of websites that got hit. It's, it's just a, a growing problem. Yeah. Now you mentioned that um, you've kind of grouped 
um, some of the some of the um, groups and giving them labels, you know, group one, group two, things like that. Um, is there anything else that you've learned about the people be, behind MageCart? Yes, some of them are, like I said, like the first group, um, those were people who were in the sort of carding, so theft of credit card schemes. They were in that sort of economy, underground economy for a long time. It's not something you just jump into. Before they were doing web streaming, they already were running um, a reshipping company, which is where you find mules in the US, which you tell, you know, I'll ship a package to your front door and you just have to ship it on to an address I tell you. Um, the reason they do that is they can get expensive tech in the US that's not sold in their region, they can resell it. Um, that's kind of the idea behind it. They were running this before they were going into web skimming because they were doing traditional car theft by breaching organizations. That's where they started. And they started pioneering a way to like, go at it a different route where you don't either have to compromise the e-commerce side directly or you don't have to mess with the internals of an e-commerce side. Because the, the problem was a lot of times um, when a new vulnerability came out for something like Magento, um, they weren't the only ones compromising those sites, obviously. There's a lot of criminals out there. Uh, as soon as you set up a website, you'll notice you get a ton of scans and all kinds of noise coming in. Um, the problem was all these people were jumping on the same website that was vulnerable. A lot of times it would break the website. So every time a new vulnerability, vulnerability came out from Magento, we would see waves and waves of Magento websites just erroring out. They wouldn't work anymore because um, half the automated tooling these guys were using would sort of conflict with each other. They would start modifying the code to add their skimming in there and then another one would override it but wasn't aware of the skim already being in place, would break the code base of the Magento store and the whole store just wouldn't work anymore. And these guys were just kind of done with that process. So they, they, you know, they became inventive. They, they decided to go the route that nobody had done before, which is you go to the client and make the client basically send you, send you the payment data. Because the funny thing is even if the website breaks, where somebody places an order and the website errors out because somebody messed up something on the inside, the JavaScript has already ran. The payment information was already stolen. So they were just trying to, trying to figure out a new way to be more consistent on getting payment data and like stealing credit cards. Um, and yeah, they've, they've been in that space for a longer time. You don't just jump into that. And we've seen that with other groups as well. Um, there's one group we call group four, which is, in our eyes, one of the most advanced ones. They have a very elaborate uh, set of infrastructure. Again, that's something you just come up with. Um, they have they have a history in what we think um, is malware, specifically banking malware. Um, one of the things you would do when you um, use banking malware, you want to modify transactions or you want to fish people for their credentials for the bank so you can log in and transfer out money. One of the ways they would do this is the malware would be running on the system. Somebody would go to the banking page, get go to the login. They would log in, and then the malware would modify some stuff in the browser to give you sort of a secondary login procedure, supposedly the bank wanting you to really confirm who you are. Uh, and this sort of, um, it was called web injects. They would inject additional scripts in, scripts in the page while you were on your banking website. And they would use this to skim like TAN codes to confirm transactions or credentials. Now, what was really interesting, when they moved to web skimming or decided to on the site to web skimming, they took this process of overlaying a login page or like adding additional pages uh, to their concept of skimming. Instead of skimming the payment form that was there, they would actually replace the payment form with one of their own so they would know what the data would look like instead mm -hmm. of just trying to grab it and then send it off. 
which is really interesting because nobody else is doing it, which kind of told us, besides some artifacts and the code as well, um, what their history was, which was really interesting because uh, they took their approach they normally take with banking malware um, and they moved it to the web. So uh, there's all kinds of sides to this. There's another group which we call um, MageCard Group 6, which um, I recently disclosed is a group that other people refer to as Fin6. Um, we purposely had this number overlap because we, we knew about it. Uh, we just never publicly studied it until now. Um, Fin6 is a completely different group. They've always been doing carding and, and breaching organizations to do carding. Um, they're behind some really large data breaches. Um, and, and they're really interesting. They have a completely different approach. They will fish people in the organization, um, supposedly with fake job offers, for example, to get them on a website to download some documents which would infect them, which would get them sort of entry into the organization's network. And from there on, their goal is to, to figure out the infrastructure inside the organization. And they're pretty much like your top tier network administrator. They will know your network better than you know your network once they've gone through. Hmm. And their point is they need to know where payment data comes in, where it goes, if it's stored, where is it stored, if, it, if it's stored. Um, they just want to know everything so they can put everything in place and then in one go start copying uh, stored payment data, start skimming from point of sale, for example, or something they started doing in 2018 when they reached British Airways, start skimming on web pages. It's just a tool in their arsenal. They have something for point of sale. They built something for e-commerce, completely different history, but they sort of learned from what was going on and they saw sort of the opportunity in e-commerce as well. So there's a, there's a lot of different criminals coming from different directions, sort of going the same route as e-commerce is just, you know, it's, it's the biggest thing. Whenever I need something, I go online to buy it. I don't, you know, it's more often that I go to the website to buy something than I go to a store. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. More and more dollars are moving from kind of brick and mortar to online. And I mean, that trend has been going for years and just, you know, year after year, the, the stats keep showing that that's just, you know, a, a continued trend. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's just becoming one of the biggest things. And with that, um, one of the biggest risks, pretty much, because it's so easy to do a payment. The easier you make it to do a payment, you'll probably make it easier for the bad guy as well. It's kind of, there's always two sides to it. Sure. Now, the way I understand it is um, there's been not only the skimming of the payment forms and capturing of payment information, um, but you started to even see skimming of other fo web forms, um, whether those are contact forms or quote request forms or, you know, whatever, those other kinds of forms on sites. Uh, is, is that right? And kind of what's going on there? Yeah, we saw some of them uh, or some groups experimenting with what kind of data you want to grab. Uh, some of them found out um, what they normally do is they do a filter on the URL. So they want to see certain keywords in the URL to know if they're on the payment page. Hmm. And what we saw is that some of them started adding uh, like login prompts or password reset prompts, like the, the stuff you would see in the URL. Um, they would add it into this filter. So they were capturing more and more. And now some of them went as far, they, they simply wanted to see that somebody was in, in the administrative panel of the website. And they would basically grab any form, any input. Now, they would be skimming when the, the administrator would like update the template so they would get a whole HTML template whenever somebody's editing. But at the same time, if they're changing something, removing users, adding users, setting passwords, changing configurations, they would also skim this. So it would just give them sort of additional access if they wanted it or needed it. Um, 
And there's also been some where the target wasn't e-commerce. Um, the target was simply to skim information, whatever it was, while somebody was on the web page. They wouldn't even do filtering uh, for certain people um, with some filtering on geolocation. They would pull in anything that person submitted on a website. So they would just sniff actively while somebody was typing in. So technically, it would be a keylogger. You could compare mm -hmm. it to that. But then on a specific website with some filtering to make sure they're keylogging the right person. It's just, yeah, with so much happening on the web and so much you can do, um, there's just a lot of opportunity from their side. Right, right. Now, you talked about everything from small, um, you know, Magento sites that, uh, you know, a small business or even an individual could launch um, all the way up to sites like Ticketmaster. Um, are there any types of sites that seem to be more vulnerable? Uh, you know, is there um, safety in, in kind of a larger, more recognized site that has, you know, security staff um, versus, uh, you know, some smaller um, shop that doesn't, doesn't have that kind of staff? Or do you see any kind of trends there? Yeah, it's always very hard for people that focus on their business and their product and then add e-commerce as, as like a side thing to do more sales mm. to be really vested and knowledgeable in that area. And that's just a big thing we see. Like the small mom and pop stores, they get compromised. They will never know they're compromised until law enforcement knocks on their door <laughs> or we send them a message or whatever way there's a notification coming out. And that's just, you know, that's part of it. And the bigger the store and the, the more knowledgeable they are on what's going on, um, you'll notice they'll be taking more care of their store. Anything from doing updates to actually checking in to see what's going on to having security staff and the bigger that store gets, um, the more you'll see of that. So large organizations, things like the large retailers in the U.S., they have an online presence. Uh, presence. Mm -hmm. They will have a ton of eyes on it. They will have a big, you know, big infrastructure behind it as well. They will have security controls in place on that infrastructure. There's a lot to that. And as you know, as bigger as you grow, you'll need more of that. But as you've seen with Ticketmaster, there's still there's still gaps where it's a visibility problem. Um, that external supplier thing on the web is just a visibility problem. You can look as much to you know everything you own, but if you have an external party and you allow them to run scripts on your website, they are part of sort of your online digital footprint. That's that's kind of the deal, and that's something that's you know over the past year or so, it's it's becoming you know people are thinking about it more. Um, especially with some of the publications we've done, people are really going into it like, okay, whoever I allow access on my website to do something, they pretty much are part of me. So if they get compromised, I get compromised. That's mm. kind of the thought finally. But then, you know, that's something they're focusing on. But those smaller stores will, you know, they will, st they will stay a problem. Um, like I said, they won't have the knowledge or, you know, they spend time on their product and their services, which is what they want to improve. And then, they won't look at their e-commerce site besides accepting orders for like a month. Maybe there's a big vulnerability that comes out. They don't know about updating it. And you'll have more skimmers on those websites. And we've seen those examples where it's just never cleaned up. And we've seen examples where there's like nine different skimmers on one website. Hmm. So if you do a payment, you're paying to 10 parties in the end. Oh, wow. Um, you know, that's it. It happens. And it's just, it's a problem for those small stores. And it's, it's kind of like, when WordPress was a really big target and people still complain about WordPress always being a target, the thing with WordPress is the core is really good and sure it'll have issues that come up and it'll get fixed. You can put in automated updating, all of that. 
Um, WordPress, like most vulnerabilities from what we see and what we see abused, it's external plugins that people put on their WordPress website. And it's the same for Magento. There are certain guidelines you can follow to make sure that, you know, you have the latest version. That's one. Enable updating, check in like every week, just make sure you check in, see if there's updates. Um, but don't install anything external you don't need. Um, that's like the easiest one is just get a really clean base Magento installation and keep it up to date. You'll be safer than people who constantly update and have a billion plugins installed. Sure. It's, you know, and it, it's it's an open source platform. So the good thing is people will be auditing it and it will get those updates. Um, you also have the options of like hosted content, things like Shopify, where you can set up your own store. It's externally managed. It will cost you something, um, but it takes away a lot of the pain. So I, like my advice, if you're like a small store, um, you want to start this, this online presence, which is really good. It, it will expand your business try to first go to a managed solution. Um, it will save you a lot of headache of administration for ones, uh, for one, but it'll also save you that headache of that updating, being a platform and maybe, you know, theft comes in. If that happens on something like Shopify, it will be a really, really big deal. They have a lot put in place to avoid those things. They have better controls than you will be able to put in place on your own, um, especially when you're starting. So, yeah, that's like our advice is if you really want to run something yourself, keep it like vanilla, keep it really clean, um, keep it simple uh, and just keep track of it. But if you don't want to go that route and it's too much headache, um, just go to a provider. They can they can set you up really well and it, it doesn't have to be that expensive and you can avoid a lot of things like this. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, in one sense, it's great that the barrier to entry has fallen so far, uh, in terms of, you know, small businesses or individuals being able to set up their own e-commerce sites. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, um, people doing that, they're, they're focused on, you know, selling their products, uh, selling their services online. They are not prepared to, uh, you know, handle website security. They're not prepared to, you know, put protections in place. Um, that's, that's the furthest thing from their mind. Um, and unfortunately, it, it often stays far from their mind until an incident. Um, so yeah, if you can go with a service that already has, you know, the the infrastructure in place, they've they've got um, their server set up right. They've got, um, like you said, the the eyes watching. Um, I mean, that's just a, a world of difference from somebody just you know running running a site and checking into it a couple times a year. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's just uh, the the biggest amount of sites that we see hit are just small small stores, small providers that are just, they have an online presence, but they're not really wary of what's all going on. Not really, you know, keeping it up to date. They're just pushing products, which is absolutely fine because that's your focus. That's what you're good at. Um, and those tend to just be the problems and, and sure you'll have those big hits where a large organization get compromised and we'll get a skimmer on the website. It happens. It's something to recover from. It's something to investigate. How did it happen? How can we avoid this? But if you're starting, um, Unless you have the technical knowledge, just go with a provider. It will it will save a lot of headache for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So so zooming out a little bit from Magecart um, and just kind of considering the the broader threats to online shopping, what would you say are the the biggest threats that consumers face in shopping online? Um, it's pretty broad, but if you think about online uh, like online shopping the biggest target is always those cards it's about money in whatever way you can um 
get money. Um, you'll you'll have scams run through it, um, fake tech support scams popping up while you're on the website. Those things. Um, it's still always where the money is, and, and the biggest threat when you do online shopping is still that card you have in your hand, which you're going to use to perform a payment. Um, there's a, a lot of what we call sort of side hustles, like you know tech support scams coming up. Um, maybe you'll be treated to a fake flash update or you're supposed to update your Chrome browser here, download this, install it. Um, might get you anything from Adware to actual malware. That's still sort of, what we, yeah, like, I, like I said, it's like side hustles. It's not the, the really big, big thing. Um, you might have some stores in there that, that are um, fake stores, for example, you know, place your order never arrives, but they charge your card. Mm -hmm. Those also exist, but still payment, payment data, for if you're a criminal, um, that's what you're going for because you can resell this payment data. You can use it yourself. It's it's always your biggest target. Um, those side things they will make some of the money, um, but the majority focus is still card card data, and that's that's just you know online payments. That that's the thing. There's always other things which are slightly outside of the scope, but you can think. Um, what do you call them? Like fake products. Um, a lot of well, Amazon apparently had a big problem with it recently, where people found out that there's a lot of fake products being pushed through Amazon because they just have a hard time screening that amount of products that they're offering. Mm -hmm. um, that is a thing, but it's yeah, it's kind of outside of, of of my knowledge. At least we have some things put in place for our customers that do are affected by this, and we do checks for them uh, to see where they're you know, where are they presented online supposedly to figure out, you know, this is an, uh, an authorized place where our products are being sold versus this is something we didn't even know about. We need to check this out. It's something we can do. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of outside of my scope. I stay with where the bad guys do direct sort of, or are a direct threat uh, to someone who's doing online payments. And like I said, there are some scams in there. There's some people pushing adware, some malware. Um, but the majority is still that, that piece of plastic in your hand. They want to know the numbers that are on the front and back. Hmm. Yeah. So if someone is at home and um, they're, they're shopping online using you know, their computer, tablet, phone, whatever, on their home network, um, what kind of steps should that shopper be taking to make sure that they're shopping safely? So it starts at the basic is, do you trust this website? It's like the bare basic one. Just do some checks. Um, you know, my wife does this all the time where she finds something online. She just sends me the link of the store. Um, you know, she has the advantage that I can pull it through our risk IQ data <laughs> to see if there's something like a skimmer. But besides that, I always do reputation checks. You know, how long has this store existed? If you can figure it out, sometimes you, you can see it on like contact pages or about pages see who the actual owner is. Uh, a lot of times you'll notice there's these stores that only existed for like a year and the owner is a organization based out of China. Mm -hmm. While well, in itself, it's not bad, but if they are selling products that are really a lookalike or something else and it's a Chinese-owned organization, you can kind of guess where that's going. Um, and one of the things we do, and that's just sort of the nature due to all the skimming, um, is when we find a product, we check to see if it's, uh, available at a place like Amazon. And I know that's that's bad for the small stores and small suppliers out there. Um, one thing, if it is their product and it is sold through Amazon, they will still get their income. 
we just, you know, I trust Amazon checkouts a lot more uh, than regular like self-hosted stores, for example. Sure. Because uh, one of the things I try to avoid is when I do an online payment is to directly use my card. And what I mean by that is on Amazon, you can store your card, for example. You have your payment already stored somewhere and they can authorize this internally. It never, you know, it's never in your browser. So if somebody gets a script on the Amazon store, I'm, I'm good. I've got my card stored. The only thing they can take is maybe my address because it's displayed, but they can never have my payment data. Or some stores offer this um, Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these um, sort of mobile-based payment systems like Apple Pay. They don't actually use your card directly. The, mm-hmm. the card information is not actually sent there's sort of a, a one-time token which is transferred uh, together with, it's sort of a card which is temporarily tied to your card, like in between, and they get that token which works one time, only at that time you can't reuse it. Um, that's sort of in a very basic way explain how, how Apple Pay works. Um, but that means even if they skim that data, there's nothing they can do about it. Mm-hmm. It's a one-time token, once it's used, it's gone. It's time-based, so it will time out if you try to use it later. And the card isn't actually a card. It's sort of a temporarily generated card number, which is tied to your actual card. So there's sort of barriers put in place. So these, these, this is what I mean when I say I don't use my card directly. I try to avoid using my card directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, stored cards or payment processes um, like Apple Pay, for example, they, they are really efficient. They're really good. Um, and they can save you from headache like, like, like this pretty much. Um, the only thing is you won't always be able to do it. Mm-hmm. that's that's the big problem so sadly if you if there was if you have a problem of a web skimmer on a website and you're trying to do a payment um or you're probably unaware that skimmers there the odds of for example an antivirus product stopping you stopping these skimmers um they're getting better but an antivirus product does not run in your browser most of the time they're not at that level we have a different look because what we do is we go to a website specifically looking for it. We don't have people that are browsing and we see what they're browsing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're also at an advantage um, where it's pretty much, we go to the website to specifically try to trigger or find a skimmer. As a consumer, you don't notice it. Your antivirus product, in my eyes, most of the time won't actually notice it. So if it does happen um, and your card is skimmed, one of the best things is just to keep watching your card when you've used it that's it's a general thing i know it's a general advice here in the us just keep track of your card look at what's being charged on it um some fraud will go for like big numbers but there's also a ton where they do a lot of small transactions because they'll be less likely to be noticed yeah Um, now your bank uh, most banks are really good at figuring out when something is fraud if there is a relation between your card suddenly getting charges and another card getting charges and it's sort of they they have these these systems which can sort of find points of convergence where multiple cars are getting charged all of a sudden they have one point where they were all used they have these systems in place um, but if you do suspect um, that maybe you got skimmed and it doesn't matter if you have you know a bad transaction on your car but you just think something's wrong call your bank go to your bank just issue a new card it's fast they you know they won't be annoyed by it at all They'd rather have you issue a new card and save them, you know, from possible fraud and save yourself from possible fraud than having it go through. Um, it's just, you know, skimmers aren't visible. They're pieces of code that run inside the website. The same script that, you know, gives you a pop-up or makes an image move on the website can access your payment data when you're doing an online payment. 
It's, mm -hmm. it's just that simple, sadly. So if anything, try to avoid directly using your card. If you do, keep good track of any charges that are on the card. And if you suspect something is wrong, call the bank, issue a new card. It's, it's, a, it's a process that, that's really simple nowadays, and it's, it's, it's fine if you do it. There's no penalties. Uh, I don't think banks will actually charge you for issuing a new card anyway. So. Yeah, so other than contacting the, the card issuer and requesting a, a new card, um, anything else that a shopper should do if, if they realize after the fact that they've been a victim of, of card skimming? Um, if you want to help other people, it's also good to contact the store, um, especially if you can pinpoint that it wasn't this exact store. Um, feel free to let them know. It might be that they're just not knowledgeable on it. Um, you know, it, it happens. Um, yeah, but yeah, if, if fraud happens, call your bank. You can cancel transactions, especially on credit cards. They can you know, put refunds in place and they can issue you new cards. Um, but yeah, it, it might be that you're contacting the store where it happened and they have absolutely no clue. Like I said, there's small stores where they're, they're focusing on products and they, they don't have a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, now, we, we've had cases uh, where people um, were just ignorant. Uh, we tried to explain it and they just refuted it the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, for us, at some point, there is the problem where we just see too much traffic to a website where they knowingly are affected. Um, we inform either payment providers or we inform law enforcement. Okay. So like very last step, if you are dealing with a store and they're just being very ignorant and you've explained the problem and you're really sure it's to them and all of that, you can always inform law enforcement. Um, your local police might not be able to do much. Um, I know the FBI, even though they're super busy, they do have a big interest um, in stuff like this. So if yeah. you're at that level, we're able to discern what happened and you really know it's a story, just not getting any further with those people. Um, you can always try to loop in either like the payment provider because they'll most likely be able to say, yeah, we have a lot of issues where this payment, you know, this merchant was in use and then we have fraud. So they'll be able to do something because um, we, we've had cases like that. Sadly. Hmm. Now you mentioned Apple pay um, and kind of the advantage there of, of not giving out the actual card numbers, just that one-time token. Um, would you say that other digital payments would be uh, preferable to the credit card? So things like PayPal or, or like a virtual one-time credit card, um, would, would those other uh, methods be better than just using the actual credit card too? Yeah. Um, it's just a way to put sort of a barrier in between you and your actual card because your card is, you know, you, you can use that directly uh, and a lot of these uh, payment processes, I'm just only familiar with Apple Pay and I don't use Android, for example. I know they have with Google their own system. Um, you know, anything to put something in between, because I know these guys think about um, how payments are processed and how to do it where you don't actually have to give the card to someone, because that's the whole point of these uh, payment sort of systems like Apple Pay and all that. Mm -hmm. um, PayPal is also an option, especially if you have a PayPal account and your card is tied to the PayPal account, you pay with your PayPal account. Um, because if you still go through a PayPal transaction uh, and you fill up your card, you're still doing sort of a direct card transaction. And we've actually seen cases, um, and it's just very unfortunate. You can embed PayPal in your website, um, and you can sort of stylize the checkout of, you know, to match it up with the design of your website, which means resources are pulled in from your website. Mm -hmm. If your website is affected with a skimmer, and it's one of those resources that's also on that payment page to stylize it, hmm. you might still get skimmed if you're actually filling out your payment uh, data like just in the website. So if you do use PayPal, 
use it as like an account and a step in between where you don't actually um, have your card in the, in the checkout directly. Mm, okay. So we talked about when someone is shopping at home, they're on their own network, their own devices. Uh, now let's say that that shopper is out and about. So they're, you know, they're at the coffee shop, they're at the local library, um, they're using someone else's Wi-Fi. Uh, what different steps should the, stepper, uh, the shopper take in cases like that to uh, shop safely online? It's, it's still at the uh, don't use your card direct level. Um, because one of the things that I know it's 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 being used to create some fear and push some marketing uh, that if you go on a public Wi-Fi you're just attacked. That's kind of how it's described. Um, it's not that you have to be super special to be on a public Wi-Fi and then be attacked. It's just it's it's not that you go on public Wi-Fi and by definition there is an issue. Um, you know, if you go to your online store and you get issues where your browser tells you something's up. Just don't do it, wait until you're home or, you know, go on your phone, go on the connection on your phone, might be better, it might work there. If you just suspect something is wrong, just wait, unless you really, really have to pay. But if, you know, if your browser is acting up and saying all kinds of things where something's up uh, and it's just telling you something's wrong with the website, just don't do it. But by definition, it's not bad if you're on public Wi-Fi. There are more risks, that's, that's for sure, uh, but again, um, somebody's got to be pretty persistent to specifically go after you, go after the website you're doing to check out and then stealing payment information. Like we, we haven't seen it. Like it's possible to do this. Sure. But it would mean that somebody has to sort of be there or in advance, do something to be on the public Wi-Fi where you're at. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a possible scenario. The likelihood of it happening is just a lot lower. And with that, if you stick to your like Apple pay method, not using cars directly, you're still pretty good. That's that's the, the general uh, gist of it. Sure, okay. So it seems like all of this advice would apply equally to kids who are shopping online. But is there anything else that parents should be teaching their kids to help them to, to be more aware of the dangers and, and to shop safely themselves? Well, I think if you can explain to your kids, like um, one thing that happened where Apple... Uh, sort of hammered down on is, is these uh, games where once you do one transaction, um, they allow you to just keep going. You don't have to confirm any additional transactions. Hmm. And Apple hammered on those pretty hard. And now anytime you want to do like an in-game transaction, um, you have to reconfirm, you know, the payment. Um, but if you can explain your kids kind of like the same deal um, or whenever they need to buy something, you just try to help them out. Um, it'll help, you know, check, how legitimate the site is. And that's, it's more difficult for a kid, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but generally just, if they have some kind of suspicion that something's wrong, something is way too good, you know, those, um, you have those deals that come up on like Facebook and Instagram where something is suddenly 60% off and it's this store that existed for a month and just fill out your credit card. Mm -hmm. um, if you can kind of get a, a sort of common sense talked into them about that kind of stuff and, it doesn't have to be that you have to, because uh, that's always the thing if you tell them, you know, you need to go to me and I need to approve before you buy something. If you just say, we can always look at that together, um, you know, just to, to get them in that mindset to, to think about what they're doing online, if, even if it's just about going to the website and possibly wanting to buy something, um, that's a lot better. But, you know, it's when you're a kid and you really want something and you see it online and you have that, you know, you have your, your mom or your dad's card or it's 
it's on the iPad and it's like loaded up at Apple Pay. Um, at least when they're paying with Apple Pay, it will be secure. Um, it might hurt your card a little bit depending on what they're buying. Um, but yeah, just make it a process of them, not that you need to be okay with what they're buying, but they're just you're going to check out together what's going on with the website and, you know, okay, you want to buy, but who, who are you actually buying from? Mm-hmm. That whole process might be a lot better and work a lot better and then just putting a barrier saying you need to ask me every time you want to buy something. Yeah, so just having that critical thinking and just an awareness, um, just kind of thinking through it before before buying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are there any particular browsers that you recommend using or recommend avoiding to uh, have better security online? Not per se. Like I'm a fan of Chrome. Um, as I know, they, they do a lot of active blocking and it's very actively developed, but so is Firefox. Um, I have a personal preference to not use Internet Explorer or Edge, what, it, what it's called now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I'm not a Windows user and I, I just don't like the browser. <laughs> but in itself, the skimmers are built to be generic. That's that's the whole point there. Some of them are built to generically skim any payment form. So they don't have to build a specific one for every website they compromise. Mm-hmm. Those things can figure out where the payment data is. And they're generic in the sense that any browser will run that script. Maybe some browsers have some kind of implementation that block something that the skimmer is doing, but just like give it a week, they'll find something, I find find out how to get around it. Because the concept of a skimmer, the code that's actually the skimmer itself, the British Airways one was 22 lines of code for nearly half a million cars that were stolen. Mm-hmm. That code was so simple. Like I said, the image moving on the website, that code can also access your payment data. So there's no like level of security inside the browser per se, when it's about a, a form with some fields where you can put information in. And those scripts manipulating the data in those fields to pull it out, that's not weird. Everything on the website is doing that. If you um, if you load up um, certain JavaScript libraries like jQuery, which is a really popular one, and then you have a sub-module called jQuery UI, which helps developers uh, build sort of, you know, UI elements more easily. They don't have to build a lot of boilerplate code for it. It's in that library. Uh, once you activate that library, it does a lot of the same things. It goes through forms that are in the pages. It goes through the input fields and pulls down all kinds of information and sort of makes itself ready for you to use it. And that's quite ironic because behavior-wise, sometimes a skimmer can look so much like normal script that's operating on a website. The only difference is at the end, it sends the payment data to a remote website which you think would be unique, but we've actually found web stores that implement their payment processing like this. When you submit a payment, it would send the payment information, your credit card information, to a remote website, which would validate the card information, place your order, and then send back if it was successful, hmm. which is just such a horrible process of implementing payments. But you know we've seen it, and skimmers sort of do the same thing. They're just not part of the actual payment process. Um, like I said, it's 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 very generic, those schemers. They don't do anything weird. The only thing is that in the end, they'll have payment data, which you don't want them to have. Um, but the process of what they're doing in the browser is nothing weird. So I don't see a very generic fix for any browser to block all of this uh, in any capacity. I just know um, Google Safe Browsing, which is built into Chrome, uh, has a lot of active blocking. And you know we submit to, to this list as well. Uh, for some of the domains, if we at times detect something, um, we push it into the Google Safe Browsing, which will get blocked by everybody. So 
it's you know I know uh, Microsoft has their own. I don't know what it's called, like web screener or something. It's also built into Edge, which, you know, it's, it's the same process blocking websites so people don't go to it when it's known bad. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, in terms of, I just have a preference, which is Chrome. Um, nothing against any other browser. Uh, but some, some, have, some have some better options than others, but there's nothing specifically uh, that would help you against skimmers from a browser perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier how really antivirus or anti-malware software is generally not running at the level inside your browser that it's that it's scanning those scripts and you know would catch uh, skimming code. Um, is but is there any other benefit for um, any kind of anti-malware software in terms of general uh, you know e-commerce safety or browsing safety? Any, anything that you'd recommend using or or not using in that area? Well, it will always help you. That's one thing. It it, it won't ever affect you badly in, in, in that way. Um, and I know a lot of AVA vendors are actively looking at this, especially since we started publishing. Um, they've more actively looked at this because obviously people are asking like, hey, what can you do for me? Because I'm a consumer, I'm on these websites and I have a problem. Now they won't be able to discern the actual skimming code. That's just, they don't live in the browser that way. Uh, some of them have like plugin systems so they are active in the browser. Um, but I wouldn't rely on that detection system per se, but what they do know, uh, what they do do correctly is when they have something that's known bad, just like the Google safe browsing concept. Um, if they have a domain, which they know is bad and it's being used, um, to receive the payment data, the AV will block it. So even though the skimmer activates and copies your payment data and tries to send it, it actually can't send it off. Mm. And that's something, uh, a lot of AVs, I think almost all of them, uh, are doing. Um, so they are blacklisting these domain names and when they see traffic to it, they block the traffic, which is a good way of going at it because they don't have control over the web browser, but they do have control over where traffic is going. Sure. Uh, so so they, they will help you there. And like I said, it's um, they won't impede you in any way. And, and security has always been about layering um, mm -hmm. your security. It, you don't have one solution to solve everything. You have a solution for a really specific concept and if you stack them together, uh, you will create a better um, yeah, sense of security pretty much. Right, yeah, defense in depth, having having the, the multiple layers. So if you have a weakness in one, you at least can rely on on some other and you, you have enough layers. Um, each layer just kind of increases the security that you have. Yeah. Now, now this... Uh, this is getting kind of outside of the, the technical aspects, but um, in terms of just kind of the financial side of things, it, it seems that a lot of US consumers really don't care that much about credit card theft because their card issuers are offering zero fraud liability anyway. It's just not that big a deal. Um, would you say that contributes to this problem or, or does that factor into to this whole situation? Well, it's kind of funny because I'm not from the US originally. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a big difference culturally with money. Um, one of the things is in the Netherlands, banks try to reduce fraud to, if they can, zero. Mm -hmm. but that's really hard. So they reduce it as far as possible. It's not that U.S. banks aren't doing this. Obviously, nobody wants to have loss due to fraud. The thing in the U.S. is if you keep moving the money, you make money. And there's, there's sort of a difference there, especially if you look at cards. In Europe, we've had like EMV and, and like uh, pin, pin payments through the chip. Mm -hmm. uh, for a long time. Like I remember I was like 13 or something, 14, and I couldn't use the magnet swipe anymore. Mm. 
And it's like super confusing and annoying because you have to put a thing in and I have to recognize the chip. You have to put in your pin. But the thing is in the US, payments are made really easy. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, if you make payments easy, it's also easy for the bad guy once he has the information. Right. Like the concept of a magnet swipe is the reason why there's been so many breaches. Mm-hmm. If you think about, for example, like the Home Depot breach a long time ago, um, was the data that was stolen was track data. Track data comes from magnet swipes. And the fact that you just swiped your card and the transaction is approved is like in my mind was always kind of insane because mm-hmm. all you need is that magnet swipe. That's why people clone cards because mm-hmm. uh, it makes it really easy. You clone the magnet swipe, you don't per se need a pin. Sometimes you do with big transactions or if you go to an ATM, you need, you know, you need a, a, the pin for it as well. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it was kind of baffling for me when I was younger where it was just so easy to do these transactions. And in the U.S., it still is. And they're getting better. Um, a lot of times you have to use your chip now. Like most of the places you do, they sticker off the actual magnet swipe part. Um, but if you go to places where, um, where, where they don't have an active connection, for example, so their payments are batched, you swipe, you do a magnet swipe, uh, they take the track data as a sort of an appro- approval uh, for a transaction. They batch this together to do uh, all the transactions later when, when they have connectivity or when they process their payments. Those are places where you can still skim track data, which you can put back on a Mac card and then use for fraud. Yeah. Um, it's just it, payment were, payments were made really easy in the US. That's the thing. Europe, we've had that, but we moved on from it because it really doesn't work. It, it, leaves, it leaves too many um, open possibilities for fraud. Now in the US, they can't completely remove the magnet swipe. They just can't because there's places where you don't have an active connection. Mm-hmm. You, you swipe, you do a transaction. Some of them you have to, you know, um, those where you put a paper over your card and you sign it. Yeah. Um, like those are like the super offline transactions. It makes it, you know, vulnerable to fraud, obviously, but it's, for the banks, it's also, we need to move money. You need to be able to allow transactions, not make it harder. Um, in the Netherlands, we have, for certain banks, uh, my, my old bank also had it, um, when you do an online transaction, you don't put in a card number, expiry, CVV, and you're done. You put in your card number, and then you put your physical card into a device you have, you put it in, you put your PIN in, and based off of the time in your PIN, it generates a one-time token on that device which you put in. Ah. Which if they skim it, you can't use it. Mm-hmm. So it's that same, that same concept which I explained with the Apple Pay at a very basic level. Yeah, we we've had that for years, where you just have you know you need to have a small card reader which generates these tokens for you, which means online payments you can't skim them. In the Netherlands, you cannot skim an online payment. You can skim it when it's a credit card payment. Probably if you put in a card number and you know expiry and all that, mm-hmm. but our normal bank cards. You just can't skim them in online situations. You can trick people into paying something and you know, sending you money through a transaction when you're, you know, you and that's something that does happen in our country where they, they call up old people saying that something is wrong and they need to pay this because they forgot to pay it, and they trick people into paying. Because you need that physical card, you need that physical device, uh, you need to pay and you generate those tokens. So that's so like it's a slower process when when I used to do an online payment. Here, it's so easy. You go online, you know, my, my, the 1Password or whatever you use, LastPass will fill out the credit card information and you just click submit. Mm-hmm. Um, susceptible to fraud, very easily so. Um, it's just, if we put that barrier in that people need a device or need extra things to do an online transaction, it slows down transactions. 
one, consumers will get annoyed by it and it will make transactions slower, give people sort of time to think about it as well. So I think it's it's part of a culture thing. Um, but like I said, like in the Netherlands, we try to reduce fraud to like near zero. Here, it's also about reducing fraud, but also making sure if you keep moving the money, you still make money. Even though you have some loss, you just need to outperform the loss in profit. Yeah, it's it's just that classic trade-off between security and convenience and uh, and different countries, different cultures taking different approaches to it and deciding, you know, at a different, uh, different points. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting because like I grew up when I was really young with the payment swipes and it was gone. And then I got to the U.S. and it's like, it's back. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any other warnings, advice, or encouragement that you'd like to share uh, with Defending Digital listeners before we conclude? Uh, nothing specific on this. Just be, yeah, be vigilant. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you see anything, um, like always feel free to reach out. I'm like, we're happy to do investigations, happy to check out what's going on. If you have the idea that something is wrong. Um, I think I, like I put it on my Twitter bio as well. I like our data used, not just, <laughs> yeah. you know, not just stale and collecting dust. So right. If you think something's wrong or you want to do some research, um, it's, I'm always interested. There's so many things going around. Um, we don't have enough people to look at it. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned people reaching out. Where can people find you online? You mentioned Twitter. Um, is that the best place or are there other places? And, and what's, your, uh, what's your Twitter username? Uh, so yeah, Twitter is one place. I tend to, you know, if you have an opinion, you go to Twitter to get it <laughs> shut down. So you've got to have one. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's it's okay. I'm going to spell it because it makes it easier because it's first my letters of my name, first name, second name, and then my last name, which is a Dutch name. So it's going to be harder. So it's Y D and then K L I J N S M A. So my name, full name is Jonathan Daniel Kleinsma. Um, but uh, yeah, and otherwise, email just uh, Jonathan, so with a Y at riskiq.net. Um, it's also perfectly fine to reach out. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'll put a link to the Twitter account um, in the show notes that go along with the episode. So be able to find it there. Well, Jonathan, thanks very much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Uh, Again, I'm joined by Jonathan Kleinsma, head threat researcher at RiskIQ and the world's foremost expert on MageCart. And I'm Chad Warner of Defending Digital, helping you to defend your digital life. Thank you and have a great day, Jonathan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I hope you found that interview informational and practical. So what should you do? One, before buying from a site, check if it's legitimate. Look at how long it's been around, where it's based, and if it sells lookalike products. Two, if the product you want is available on a trusted site like Amazon, consider buying it there because large recognized e-commerce sites are generally safer than small independent e-commerce sites. Three, try to avoid entering your card details into the website. Instead, use the card that you have saved in your account with the e-commerce site, or use a digital payment such as Apple Pay or PayPal. 4. Regularly review your card transactions. Don't ignore small transactions. 5. If you suspect that your card was skimmed, whether you see a suspicious transaction or not, call your card issuer and request a new card. 6. If your card is skimmed, tell the e-commerce site. If they ignore you, contact law enforcement. In the U.S., that'd be the FBI. 
You can also tell the payment processor. 7. When possible, buy when you're on your own network or using your cellular data rather than using public Wi-Fi. 8. Help your kids buy online and teach them what to watch for. And 9. If you run an e-commerce website, use a hosted service such as Shopify, unless there's a good reason not to. If you do host your own website, keep it updated, keep it lean, and keep it clean. Thanks for listening to the interview. If you're interested in similar advice about staying safe online, you can find it at defendingdigital.com. And love it if you'd share this episode, uh, as well as the entire podcast, uh, with a friend who's also interested in internet safety. And I'd love it if you would leave a rating or review in whatever app or site you're using to listen to the podcast. I'd appreciate it.